that's the word that God gave me on today. It's time to restore the family unit. The church is made up of many families. And if the families are broken, if the families are dysfunctional, then the church is dysfunctional. Amen. And that's the enemy's ultimate goal. You know that anytime God ordains something or anytime God stands for something, then the enemy is going to fight it. Amen. And so as we've been going through this kingdom agenda study, it really opened my eyes concerning priorities in life. It's been meat for me. The word, the, the workbook, the, if, if you didn't do the workbook, I, I promise you, you need to go back and just get into it because it is nothing but meat in there. Amen. And so it really ministered to me. And as we went through, um, it, started at, it started making me reevaluate the priorities in my life. Because oftentimes we all get so bogged down with day-to-day -day life that we forget what's most important in life. Amen? And so we often are so focused on providing for our families that we spend too little time enjoying them and even instilling morals and values in them. We often spend too much time trying to make money to acquire natural possessions, or even worse, seeking the approval of the world through social media and other platforms that we miss the opportunity to give our families what they really need, which is more time. We always work and work and work and work and work and we need more money. We need more money to buy more possessions and we give them less time. When in the end, all your children are really gonna remember is the time that you spent together. They may not remember that toy that you spent a hundred and something dollars on that they tow up the next week. They may not remember that cute little dress that you bought them, but they're going to remember the quality time that you spent and invested in them as children. And it's so vitally important because the enemy knows that time is something we can't get back. Once that time is gone, it's gone and you can't get it back. Dr. Tony Evans said something so powerful in this last week's message, and he said that, uh, and I couldn't get it off my mind, he said, whoever owns the family owns the future. Whoever owns the family owns the future. And I couldn't get off my mind. He said that the family was created for the kingdom, not just for our pleasure or our enjoyment. But we feel like we don't have a good family if we can't go to Disney World. We feel like we ain't got a good family if I can't throw a five or $600 birthday party. We feel like we, can't ha we don't have a good family if I can't travel all over the world. And those things are good and I enjoy traveling with my family. But just in case I can't take them to Disney World, we can go down to Dippin' Dots and get some ice cream and have a good time. We can stay home and we can play board games and we can have a good time. I can invest time in my family. I, there's a game that we like to play. Can you grab that game, Isha? At our house, we have family night. Now, we haven't had family night in like three months. And Nathaniel has asked, Why, when are we going to have family night again? Now, we normally have family night every week, and it's very important to me. But we haven't had it because family night, been, we've been having it. We've just been at the basketball game having family night. So we've been watching Greg Jr. play basketball, and that been our family night. But Greg, Nathaniel may not remember a lot of things, but he'll remember playing Speak Out. He'll remember the time that he, he was first learning how to read, and we had to whisper the word in his ear, and then he had to put the piece in his mouth, and he had to say what it said, and we laughing at him, and we having a good time. He'll remember those things. It doesn't take a lot of money to have good quality family time. All it takes is the sacrifice of you putting something else on the back burner, which doesn't mean as much as spending time with your family. Pastor said something about social media. If we could put our phone down for two hours, we might could have a little bit of time to spend with our family. You can put that down. I ain't done with them yet. Amen. And so he said, whoever owns the family owns the future. The family was created for the kingdom, not just for our pleasure or enjoyment. When we realize that we have, we, when we realize that, we have to also realize that there is an enemy on assignment to kill, steal, and destroy our family. Because he knows that our family is created for kingdom purposes, he is on assignment to kill, to steal, and to destroy 
our families. He knows that if the family unravels, the kingdom will suffer. Because if a family is dysfunctional, then they cannot fulfill their purpose on the earth, which is to be a kingdom family. If the families are dysfunctional, then he knows that the church will also be dysfunctional and it cannot fulfill the purpose that it was created for in this earth. We need strong families to make a strong church. How many of you know that anything that God loves, the enemy hates and wants to destroy it? He wants to pervert it. God instituted the family in the book of Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 when he told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish the earth. Therefore, we should realize that we are in constant fight for our family. Every day we are in a constant fight for our family. The devil knows that I ain't going back to the club. He knows that I'm not drinking. He knows that the cuss words that have been delivered up out of me Hallelujah. I used to cuss like a sailor, like for real sailor. I mean, I knew how to put them words together and make them sound real good. And when I got through telling you about yourself, you knew you had got cut up one side and down the other. And so he knows I'm not doing any of those things no more. But what he also knows is what's near and dear to my heart, and that's my family. So he knows that he can get me if he messes with my family. Not only did Satan get Adam and Eve to function outside of God's prescribed alignment for them, he also persuaded them to function outside of God's prescribed alignment with each other. Eve became the leader, and Adam became the passive responder. It is not our job, women, to be the leaders of our household. It is the man's job to lead his house and to lead it well. And men, it's time to stand up strong, get the jelly out your back, and be the man of your house and tell your woman, this is how things are going to be in our house. Like the Bible said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We got to have men that have that mindset. But in order for them to be able to stand strong, we got to step back and allow them to lead. You talking to a strong-willed woman right here. I was a very strong-willed woman. I had my own house, my own car. I had everything on my own before I had a man. Now, let me pause and say this for a second, because I think it's very vitally important for a woman to have a sense of independence, because too many women stay in too many bad relationships because they've never done it on their own before, and they fear that they can't do it on their own, so they stay in bad relationships because they're scared. I ain't never did it on my own. I can't do it on my own. I came to tell you today, you can do it on your own if you have to. But sometimes when women are independent and strong, it pushes us in a place or a role that we should never be in in our family. And the devil knows that. Eve became the leader while Adam became the passive responder. Worse, Adam then proceeded to blame Eve for what was ultimately a lack of leadership on his part. As a result, both shame and conflict entered the family. Once the family broke down, the effects of sin in the world began to be felt. Ultimately, sibling rivalry in the first family led to murder. It's one thing that I don't like in my children is for them to be fighting. I don't like my children to be arguing. I don't like my children to be bickering. I don't play that right there because I always told my kids, if we pack up and move, ain't nobody going with us but us. And you shouldn't treat somebody else's children better than you treat your own siblings. Now, if they want to make me mad, treat their siblings wrong. And so sibling rivalry broke out and a murder, the first murder, took place. And then the dysfunctional families began. Psalms 128 and 3 says, it offers a contrast to this image. It's so vitally important. In Psalms 28 and 3, although we see all this dysfunction in the Bible and in the world, Psalms 128 and 3 gives us hope because it shows us in the midst of chaos that there still can be a family 
with God's kingdom agenda for that family. And so I'm going to the kingdom agenda book. I pulled a lot of stuff out of there because I'm telling you it's a meeting if you go read it and do it. So Psalms 128 and 3 says, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants all around the table. They're saying that we should lead our children at the table. People don't even sit down and eat dinner together no more because we're so busy. We don't have time to minister to our family, but the table, even in the Bible, says that we're supposed to sit around the table, and that's where we begin to teach and to lead our children. It's time out for us to think that everything our children learn is going to come from the school and the church. It's got to come from your house first, around the table, where you're ministering to your children. And for those of you who are single or who don't have children yet, that's okay, too, because you may not have a kingdom family, but you should have a kingdom household. And everything about your household ought to be designed for the kingdom of God. Everything ought not to take place in your household. Your house should be a safe haven for God to minister to you. I used to be so mean and, 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 and hollering and nagging all the time, and I had to reverse that thing, and I started, I called my house in my phone a place of peace. And we identify it as that now. Our internet service is called a place of peace because we had to speak that thing into existence. And when we, our home should be a place of refuge for us to refill and to restore so that when God wants to take us out and go into assignment again, we are refilled and refueled, but we bring so much garbage into our house that it is not a place of peace. We should lead our children around the table. Don't just use meal time for eating, but for leading. Talk to your children about their day. Talk to your children about their friends. Know who your children are hanging around. Everybody is not instilling the same values in your children and their children as you are in yours. So you need to watch your babies. And single women, you need to watch your babies. Don't bring any kind of people in your house, any kind of man. I don't care. I don't care. Everybody ain't got no option, have no influence over your children. One thing I know for sure is I didn't bring no whole bunch. I was a hoe. But I didn't bring no whole bunch of men around my baby. I guarded Aisha. I guarded her. So I had to know for sure your intentions before I brought you around my baby. And I'm talking about I needed to see some fruit. He said it takes 15 years for an olive plant to become a tree. But after, if you nurture it right, it produces over olives for over 2,000 years. So I took that like, you got 15 years to really train your children up. And in them 15 years, you better pray that they grow some deep roots so that they can continue to produce fruit for years and years to come based on what you have taught them. Not what you told them to do, but you got to model it before them. So he went on to explain how when you walk through a metal detector, they sensitize it to a certain level. And he said that when you walk through a metal detector, sometimes he walked through and he has keys in his pocket. And he says sometimes the metal detector goes off. And sometimes when he walks through with keys in his pocket, the metal detector doesn't go off. Same metal detector. He said it just depends on who sensitizes the metal detector. And so when I thought about that thing, it, it, it reminded me of like a child's conscience being set. And that's our job as parents, to set our child's conscience, to teach them the difference between right and wrong. That's our job. And so 
when I went to the scripture and it talked about a conscience, it was talking about there's a point where your conscience can be seared. Meaning you have no feeling of what's right or wrong. And we're living in a day and time because people aren't teaching their children what's right and wrong. They don't have a conscience. Their conscience have been seared. That means burned with a hot iron. I started thinking about that thing. And I remember when I pledged Zeta Phi Beta. And I went down to the hole. And they was getting them uh, brands. And they were searing that, that image on their arm. And I went down, I was like, I'm gonna get me one. I'm gonna get me one. Until I started smelling that flesh burn with that hot iron. And I saw them screaming. I said, mm mm, this ain't for me. You gotta know when to hold them, and you gotta know when to fold them. And I was walking on out of there with my tail tucked. Y'all can call me a punk. Y'all can talk about me. I don't care. You not finna burn my flesh with that iron. But many people's conscience have been seared like a hot iron. They have no feeling at all for what's right and wrong anymore. And we can see it evident because people killing people. Like it, lives don't even matter no more. It ain't even just regular people killing people. People killing their own children because their, their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. And it's our job as parents to train our children up. Not the school, not the government, not the church, not the teacher. We should be building on the foundation that you have already set. Definitely not the video games, not the TV, and not social media. We let the TV teach our children. As long as they quiet, I don't care, just let them watch TV. As long as they leave me alone and give me some peace and quiet, give them the phone. But we're not giving them what they really need, which is quality time. There are so many things working and fighting against our families. There are economic forces, spiritual forces, moral forces, cultural forces, social forces, just to name a few. And all these things want to destroy the idea of family in general, but yes, they specifically want to destroy each and every one of your families. When the families of Jerusalem were under attack thousands of years ago, their leader, Nehemiah, gave them this wisdom in Nehemiah 4.14, and it says, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. You know that God we sing about? My God is awesome. He can move mountains. That, that awesome God. He is awesome and great. It tells us to fight for your family. This ain't what I'm saying. This is what the word of God says. It tells you that you got to fight for your family. It says fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, and fight for your home. Because the devil is out to destroy them all. And I came to tell you today that your family is worth fighting for. I came to tell you today that it's not too late. I don't care how old they are. I don't care if they already out the house. I don't care if they own their way out the house. You still need to fight for your family. Do not let the devil win. He only wins if we give up. He only wins if we quit. No matter what stage your family is in, it is not too late to fight for your family. The scripture asks the question and it says, is there anything too hard for God? When you, when you give up, you're saying, God, this is too hard for you. Do you believe that he can work all things together for your good and for your family's good? Do you believe that he can redeem the time? If you believe all those things, then it's time to stand up and fight for your family. Because if you stop fighting, the enemy is not. And he fights for keeps. But we always win if we never quit. 
Now, there are four components I want to talk about in a strong family really quickly. The first component I want to talk about if you want to have a strong family is that you need to enjoy time together. I talked about it a little bit earlier. You need to enjoy time together, and it don't cost a whole lot of money. Sometimes you don't have a clue what your children are going through. You don't have a clue. But all you have to do is spend some quality time with them. Ask God to give you a spirit of discernment, and he'll tell you what they're going through, even if they won't open up your mouth. I don't care how sorry you were in the past or the enemy has made you feel in the past. It's not too late. Fight for your family and start where you are. One of your children might be in trouble right now. And you done gave up on them. I just don't know what I'm going to do with this child. You're going to keep fighting for them. The first component of a strong family is that you must enjoy time together. Don't be too busy. Don't be too tired. Don't be too worn out. And don't be so serious all the time that you can't smile and enjoy your family. We are not drill sergeants, parents. We are not scientists. There is no such thing as a perfect child. We cannot do a, add a little of this, do a little of that, do a little of that, and we're going to have the perfect child. Ain't none of them perfect, and they all different. And at some point in time, you want to give all of them back. I ain't lying. <laughs> like, Lord. The Bible says that they are a gift. If they are a gift, you ought to enjoy them. I ain't never got a gift that I didn't enjoy. If I, if I got a gift I didn't enjoy, I gave it back. My husband said my first wedding ring, I did give it back. Let me explain. Since he gonna put me out there. So he bought me this nice ring. You know, he, he was broke. And um, <laughs> it had a champagne diamond in it. And I thought that, oh, a champagne diamond. Oh, that's, that's nice. It was a marquee cut. That's what I wanted, you know. And it was a champagne diamond. We went to find a wedding band to go with it. And we couldn't find no champagne diamond wedding band nowhere. And the rings was all clashing. Like, it was like. So, so I preached the message one time from dust to diamonds, and it was, it was an amazing message and talking about the different clarity of diamonds. And so the real deal on the champagne diamond is it ain't no good diamond because the better the diamond, the more clarity it has, the clearer it is. But that thing was cloudy. So we just took it back and traded it and got me something else. Amen. Most families have adopted the mentality, all work and no play, without even realizing it. And your children will be resentful if they don't get any quality time with you. Many children are acting out today not because they got ADD, not because they got ADHD, not because they BADD. I put an extra one on there because some of them be real BADD. But some of them are acting out because they want your attention and your time. What does fun look like in your family? We know that the Bible says that we should work and we should work hard. It talks about the ant work and it talks about that if a man don't work, he shouldn't eat. We know all those things. But the Bible also talks about fun and laughter and an enjoyment. In Ecclesiastes 8 and 15, Solomon, who was the wisest man in the Bible, he wrote, I recommend having fun. Just like that. That's his words. I recommend having fun because there is nothing better for people in this world uh oh, we have a lot of fun right here, he said, than to eat, to drink, we do that real good, and to enjoy life. We got the eating and the drinking down pat. 
But the having fun, we miss that part. It says that way they will experience some happiness along, the, along with all the hard work that God gives them to do under the sun. He says, have fun. First Timothy 6 and 17 says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. How many of you know right now that your money unreliable? How many right now know your money is unreliable? Because jobs are shutting down right now. And that could mean that some people ain't getting paid. And I'm going to take a pause break right there, which is why we can't spend every dime that come across our hands. We can't spend every dime that come across our hands. He told us, he, he gave us the example of the ant. When he told us that example, he told us that when it's, some, when it's wintertime, they working. And I mean, when it's summertime, they working and they storing up for when it's wintertime. They're preparing for those rainy days. They're preparing for bad days. And while I'm saying that, don't let the enemy fool you because you're afraid you might lose some money and stop putting seeds in the kingdom of God and end up missing and end up in a cycle uh, that you're going to have to pay for for some time. Because during a time like this, he'll invoke fear in us. Well, the church light still got to be paid. The water still got to be paid. The internet still got to be paid. Whether people show up or not, they want their money. But regardless of that, God is going to take care of EMCC. But the devourer is rebuked for your sake when you do what God told you to do. So if you allow this virus or whatever it is going on to stop you from doing what God told you to do, then the devourer is no longer rebuked for your sake. That's a pause right there. It says... Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Trust their, their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. There it is again, having fun, enjoyment. We should enjoy life, not just endure it. Oh, Lord, here go Tuesday. Oh, God, it's Wednesday. Oh, goodness, it's Thursday. Thank God it's Friday. We endure in life every day when we should enjoy it. And I come to tell you that if you're too busy to enjoy life, you're too busy. You need to put some stuff off. If you are too busy to enjoy life, you need to cut some things off. Maybe I won't go to school this semester. Maybe I won't do this. Maybe I'm not going to work that part-time job. Maybe I'm not going to take that overtime they offer me this time because I'm not enjoying life. And God told me that I should be enjoying life. He said that he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And we're missing out on the abundant life because we're too busy. Ecclesiastes 11 and 8 says people ought to enjoy every day of their lives no matter how long they live. We don't know how long we're going to live, but he said we ought to enjoy every day of our lives. If you didn't do something for enjoyment yesterday, shame on you. What did you do that you enjoyed yesterday? What do you have planned to do today that you're going to enjoy? He said we ought to enjoy every day of our lives. Enjoying life doesn't have to be expensive. Please remember how you make, people remember how you make them feel by making beautiful memories, not the money you spend. It's not about money. People get so caught up because they can't take their families to Disney World. Shoot, we went to Disney World twice. The first time we went to Disney World, we went to Disney World on a budget. I was bidding on the rooms. We went to see the timeshare. We got the free tickets for me and him. Christine Grumma paid for her ticket, and Greg Jr. was free. So all we had to pay for was Aisha. And we stayed in a Roach Motel. But we went to Disney World. Second time we went to Disney World, my husband won a trip working for Aflac. All expense played. Flights. We stayed on the grounds. We had so much food, we couldn't even eat it all. We had the unlimited meal plan. They flew us there. The only thing I paid for was for them to get their face painted one day. That's it. That's the only money I spent. Great trip. 
I'm like, man, Teresa and Nate missing out. Which the, you know, you know, the older you get, the more them cheering dudes start to miss out. I'm sorry, sorry, Teresa and Nate, because Aisha and Greg Jr. always had it going on, but I'm getting old now. I'm needing them to step up, them big sisters and brothers or something. <laughs> I be needing a little bit more sleep. And so I was like, they missing out. We're going to go to Disney World. And I looked it up, and they sent me a quote, and it said $15,000. I said, what? For the same trip that we had went on for free. But then we, didn't have, we had two less kids, and you know what I'm saying? And one of them was free. And so I said, oh, no, we ain't going to Disney World. We went to my daddy's house. And we stayed at his house for free. And my husband was mad the whole time because the air condition was broke and we were sleeping upstairs and it was hot than Hades up in there. But that was our family vacation last year because I ain't had no $15,000 to give Mickey Mouse. I ain't like him that well, no way. Last scripture on having fun, Ecclesiastes 99, enjoy your life. This is for the husbands. Enjoy your life with your wife whom you love. Men, one of the greatest gifts that you can give your children is showing them how much you love their mother. The greatest gift that you can give your children is showing them how much you love their mother. When you talk down on a mother, when you disrespect a mother, when you beat on a mother, or whatever the case may be, you are instilling something in your children that is going to be lifelong and lasting. And the Bible tells you to enjoy your wife whom you love. And I must, you must love her because you married her. Make time for date nights. Show your children what marriage looks like and not work all the time. Spend quality time with your wife. Kiss her so they can say, ugh. They need to see that. If all they see is you working and there's no love and affection, that's what they're gonna think that the family is supposed to look like. That's what they're gonna think that marriage is supposed to look like. I like to gross my spiritual children out too. Me and pastor didn't get five babies because we just lay in the bed and pray all day. We enjoy one another. <laughs> Parents are the first model of relationship that your children will see. Amen. Second thing I want to talk about is growth. Growth. First thing we talked about was enjoying time. And the second thing I want to talk about is growing together. In order for plants to grow, you got to put some water on them. In order for, for your family to grow, you got to put some water on it. And the Bible talks about growth in Luke 2 and 52, and it says Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all people. He say some, he said all. Wisdom means that he grew intellectually and mentally. He grew in stature, meaning he grew physically. His physical health grew and improved. In favor with God means that he grew spiritually. And in favor with man means that he grew socially. And here's the thing, our children aren't the only ones who should be growing. Anything that's not growing is dying. If your marriage ain't growing, it's dying. If you're not growing spiritually, you're dying. If you're not doing better in your health, you're dying. Do you know more, do you know more than you did last year? Intellectual growth. Are you healthier or working on a plan to be better than you were last year? Physically, are you closer to God than you were last year? Are you more loving and forgiving social growth this year? Or are you still cutting folks off? Because you can't cut folks off. You're cutting people off that God want to use to help you and to bless you.
My grandma used to say, don't, don't burn bridges because you don't know what bridge you're going to have to take to get back to the other side one day. I ain't understood what that meant till I got grown. You can't just go around cutting folks off. We must be growing. And in order to grow, there's some things, let me talk about, there's some things that we only should learn from our family. We so messed up today because there's some things that we didn't learn from our families, and I want to talk about it. One thing is, we didn't learn how to deal with our feelings. Parents, we should be teaching our children how to process their emotions and their feelings. And I'm guilty. I think this is why the word was so hard. Because you know how when you whip their butt, then you tell them, shut up. Don't cry. I don't want to hear that. Fix your face. <laughs> but what we're teaching them is how not to be able to process their feelings. I'm guilty. But we got to teach them how to deal with their emotions. Why are they feeling that way? And, and my husband, he good. My children, I'm going I'm to I'm mess with them. Because they said they know when I'm mad. But when they daddy mad, they can't tell. He'll take them out to eat. They go out to eat. They talk. Then they get home, and then they be like, he be like, all right, come in my room. Lay down, Greg. All right, Charity, it's your turn. Lay down. All right, Teresa, come on, lay down. And then he whoop all they butts. But he taught them before he whooped them. And me, I just be, wow, Lord, help me. I don't got better. I don't learn how to count down and everything. <laughs> we need to teach them how to handle conflict. We need to teach our children how to handle conflict. If kids don't see their parents work on problems effectively, they won't know how to work on problems either. When they having problems at school, when they having problems with a teacher, when they having problems with a classmate, if we go up there and we take their side every time and we believe everything that they say, I saw a post on Facebook that said, you're going you gonna to realize the teacher wasn't lying this week. <laughs> they done canceled school. They say, you're going to realize the teacher wasn't lying this week because when they be at home bad getting on your nerves, you're going to know it. We got to teach them how to handle conflict. And the wrong way that we've taught them how to handle conflict is by acting like a turtle. That's my husband. He the turtle. He just go inside his shell and hold it in. Or by acting like a skunk. Oh, when a skunk, when you done cross their territory, you know it. I'm the skunk. When you don't cross my territory, you know it. It's loud. It's stinking. Lord help me. He's still working on me. I don't got better. But we got to teach them how to handle conflict, and we must teach them how to properly handle conflict resolution. Amen? We need to teach them how to handle loss. We always tell our children yes. We give them everything that they want because we didn't get everything we wanted growing up. So we think that the way to be a better parent is to give them everything that they want, but that's the way to be a worse parent. We need to teach them how to handle loss because loss equates with grief, and we're all going to have some losses in life. Just the other week, my son, and it hurt me to my core when they lost that game. It was like I was playing. But we had to teach him how to handle loss. And then we had, okay, you still want to go to the game? I'm going to drive you. As tired as I was, I ain't want to go to no Jackson. But I went to Jackson, spent the night, and took him to see all the other people play. We let him grieve for a few days, but now we're not going to let this thing consume us. We're going to shake the dust off, and we're going to get up, and we're going to move on because God has something greater in store for us. So we're going to go celebrate those. The Bible tells us to rejoice with them that do rejoice. We're going to go celebrate those who did make it to the playoffs. 
We got to teach our children how to handle loss. And in doing so, we must sometimes tell them no. Proverbs 24 and 16 says, even if good people fall seven times, they get back up. And that's what we got to teach them to do when they lose. Do we teach our children to give up when things don't go their way? We need to teach them to be resilient, not to quit and not to give up. Aisha tried to get out of strings. You know, all my children played the violin, all of them so far, and the other two going to play it too. I bought that instrument. We all going to learn how to play it. And she was trying to get out of strings. No, you can't quit. You're going to finish this thing out. We started it. We're going to finish it. We got to teach them to be resilient, not to give up, not to quit. I probably should have practiced that when Greg Jr. was playing baseball when he had that bad coach because he was an awesome baseball player. And what if that was an avenue that God wanted to take him through, but we let him quit because life got tough or things happened that we didn't agree with or that he didn't like or that hurt his feelings. We got to teach our children to value what matters most. The world is teaching our kids to value things that we don't agree with. The world is teaching our kids to val that, that, that personal image, the outer appearance, is the most important thing. But that's not true according to the word of God. Because the word of God tells us what's on the inside is more important than what's on the outside. The world is teaching them that it doesn't matter what your character is. All that matters is how you look. The world teaches them that the more money you have, the more important that you are, the more successful that you are. The world is teaching them uh, that the more things you achieve, the more successful and fulfilled you will be. The world is teaching them that everything is about sex. They include sex in everything. The world is teaching them that to look for values in other people and their praises. That's what social media does. It's, it has you looking for uh, your praises instead of from God in the opinions of other people. And they are learning from TV, music, movies, songs, video games, friends, all these things. The area that the enemy fights us in is still the same. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, all still the same. His tricks have not changed. And we must teach them to be able to decipher the truth from a lie. If it don't line up with God's word, it's a lie. There's two ways that help people grow. By example, John 13, 14, and 15, it says, And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now, he ain't teaching us to just necessarily wash people's feet. What he's teaching us is servitude and humility. So how do we grow? Humility and serving others. The second way is by conversation. In Deuteronomy 6 and 7, it says, You must teach God's commands to your children and talk to them when you are at home or out for a walk or in the bed or the first thing in the morning. So he's telling you when to talk to your children all the time about the word of God in Deuteronomy 6 and 7. Talk to them when you're at home. Talk to them when you're out for a walk, meaning when you're out and about running errands, doing things. He said talk to them before they go to bed. Talk to them when they wake up in the morning. Two ways that don't work, and these are the ways that I used for many, many years wrongly, and that's through criticizing we think that if we criticize somebody that that's going to work, but that don't do nothing but make them want to do it even more. It's ineffective because you are focusing on what you don't want instead of what you do want. If I tell you not to look back, somebody going to be tempted to look back because you're going to focus on looking back instead of me saying, I want you to look forward. And that's what we do with our children when we criticize them. Ephesians 6 and 4 says, don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. That was me, y'all. 
Instead, bring them up with loving training and teaching of the Lord. And see, the problem was I tried to do both. I corrected with the word. I corrected in love, but then I was always still nagging. Once you tell them one time, they heard you. At that point, you just need to pray. The second thing is through comparing. This doesn't help either. It doesn't help people grow because everyone is different. Everyone is unique. You, your spouse, your possessions, your job, your kids. You shouldn't be comparing your wife with somebody else's wife. You shouldn't be comparing your husband with somebody else's husband. Because they're not the same person. They don't like the same things. I got friends whose husbands don't eat leftovers. They would be in trouble in my house. But God didn't give me them. Because my rule is we're going to eat it all. Because there's people in Africa starving. But my little Teresa bold enough to tell me, can you send that to Africa? <laughs> I can't even get it out. She'll be like, I'm, I'm tired of eating spaghetti. Can you send that to Africa? We're going to eat it all. We ain't going to waste nothing. We're going to be good stewards. Everyone is unique. You can't compare your children to somebody else's children. You can't compare your spouse to somebody else's spouse. Just because I get up and cook breakfast every morning don't mean your wife going to get up and cook breakfast every morning. I love Lady Fountain. That's my BFF, but she ain't going to get up and cook now day. I tried to convince her. Girl, the virtuous woman, she get up before dawn. She prepared meat for her house and for her maidens. I mean, I, like, I took that thing seriously. I used to get up, cook breakfast for my house, then take breakfast to my babysitter, mama. Oh, I'm going to cook for everybody because that's what the virtuous woman do. You'll kill yourself trying to do what somebody else do if you ain't called and anointed and appointed to do it. People always talking about my shoes. Ooh, I don't know how you walk in them shoes. I walk in them every day, all day. I go to the grocery store in high heels. I can go walk the track in high heels. But just because I can do it don't mean you can do it. Your feet ain't my feet. We went to the basketball game, and I had on some flip-flops. And when we got to Jackson, I got ready to put on my heels. Greg Jr. said, you putting on heels to go in the basketball? I said, I wear heels to your game. It ain't nothing new. If Galatians 6 and 4 says, each person should judge his own actions and not compare himself with others. So you don't have to look at what nobody else is doing to say that I need to be doing this because they're doing it. Now, if God touches your heart, then you need to go to them to get the wisdom of how to do it. But don't feel compelled to do something just because somebody else is doing it. Number five, we need to teach our children how to handle the pressures of life. And I'm talking specifically about this because of what we're going through right now. How to handle sickness, how to handle storms, how to handle hurricanes and viruses. Do we operate in faith or do we operate in fear? There's a difference between preparation and panicking. That's what I said. There's a difference between preparation and panicking. And Pastor said it earlier, I do believe that we all should be prepared. I think this, I do think that a lot of people operate in fear or they begin to panic because they're not in a position to be able to prepare. Which again is why we can't spend every dime that come across our hands. We know we live in a place where there are hurricanes, yet every year we act like we ain't never heard of a hurricane. And we running and we scrambling like chickens with our heads cut off, trying to prepare for something that we already knew was to come. But we panic because we're not in a position to be able to prepare. And so because we're not in position, then we allow the enemy to get in position to put fear in us. And the Bible declares that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and of a sound mind. Amen. And it's so funny because I went back on my 
first books, because Yafrika told me the other day, she said, first lady, she said, you told us for two years straight that it's time to stock up. She said, you told us to get all the tissue, get all the paper towels, get all of this and get all that. And I said, oh, I sure did. So I went back and I looked and I searched it on Facebook and I did. I did it last year in September. I said it in 2014, 2017 when I had stopped couponing. Not to brag or to boast, but we need to be in position to be able to prepare. We make God look like a liar when we're not in position, when we've wasted all that he's given us. Philippians 4 and 6 do says, to not be anxious for anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We shouldn't be anxious. We shouldn't be nervous. We shouldn't be scared. We shouldn't be fearful. We should be standing on the word of God. Yes, we should be preparing. Believe me, I went and bought some tissue. I bought tissue for me, and I was up on a group at, with the women's group talking about, hey, I found some tissue. Anybody need some tissue at Sam's? I'm at Sam's. Anybody need paper towel? I put it in the women's group the other day. It did go through. It went through. Because I got some tissue from tequila. Africa came and got the paper towels, the alcohol. I had it all in the buggy. They wouldn't let me buy but two, but I was like, somebody can come get it. So, yes, I prepared. Because when we fail to plan, we plan to fail. How do we handle the pressures of life? 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Even in the midst of the virus, even in the midst of being off work, even in the midst of not knowing where your money coming from, I believe the word of God says that I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He going to take care of you. If he closed the lilies in the valley, what more will he do for you, his son and his daughters? <laughs> 